Okay, hi everybody. Here we are with another episode of On Purpose. I am Dr. John Duffy, and with me is the the hot trending uh, <laughs> Chicago Tribune, <laughs> Chicago Tribune uh, columnist Heidi Stevens. Hi, Heidi. Hi, John. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm excited. This is um, kind of a banner day for us because uh, I think since the first podcast we ever recorded, we've been talking about our dream of having Michelle Eichert on with us, haven't we? I mean, it's been like a couple uh, years of There is no doubt that this is like, and, and I think we were really hoping, if we're being honest, that Michelle was going to be in the tiny podcast booth with us so we could oh, all be percent. talking and laughing. Right. And co-hosting our podcast, all this together. Hugging, I was yes, set the whole thing. Lap. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the next best thing is, um, you know, when you're in a pandemic, you just call Michelle Eichert and then she joins you via Skype for your podcast. Which, which I is happening think is happening right now. Um, Michelle Yay. Eichert, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm great. I'm in a tiny podcast booth. Where are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> How funny. are I the think folks people... at WGN? <laughs> no, I'm the only one. Here. Are they still employed? Because <laughs> I'm not sure I am, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> well, this is a real mutual admiration society. Thank you for. Uh, having me here and for wanting to do this. And obviously, I always want to spend time with you guys. So I'm very excited, too. Yay. Yay. Um, so not that we needed a reason to have you on, because we would just have you on with us every week if you had the time. Oh, not that we record every week, but um, every time we <laughs> get around to recording. But but we have you on, actually, because you have a new book coming out in a month, pretty much. Yes, it comes out February 23rd. And I am so excited. Okay, tell us everything. Okay, the book is called 14 Talks by Age 14, and it's a follow-up to my first book, Middle School Makeover, uh, which is sort of a primer for, you know, what happens when you're a kid socially, emotionally, when they're going through middle school. This book is 14 talks that I think you need to have with your kid before they start high school and how to have them. I love it. I love it too, um, and and I have to say, um, I will cop to having a little bit of parenting author envy as I look at the way that you have framed your book and and talked about um, how to talk with your kids. Um, I, you, you lay it out so beautifully, and your voice is in the the text perfectly, Michelle. Um, how did you decide? how to lay this out, because I think this is kind of complicated, right? Talking to middle schoolers, talking to tweens or teenage kids, this is, this is hard. And yet something about the way you've written this makes it seem like, oh, I can do this. This seems manageable. Oh my gosh, that is a huge compliment. And I can't let parenting author Envy go without saying, of course, I feel that way about you all the time. <laughs> um, that's really nice of you. But to, um, to put it plainly, the way that I figured this out is, um, I this is a, a few years ago, I rented an Airbnb for myself for one week and I created essentially a serial killer murder board, like a giant, I wrote everything down on note cards. I had everything but the red string like pinned up going <laughs> from card to card. And I spread them out across the floor of this Airbnb. 
and I just was a recluse for an entire week. And I just started pulling cards up and saying like, this has to go under here and this can align with this. And, and I did that. And Mm. then I thought about it as a parent, you know, so that was sort of like the, the author point of view. And then I took a step back and I said, okay, as a parent, what I always want to know after I've read something is, but how? Like, <laughs> great. Yeah. I get that you're saying I need to talk about this. I understand now what my kid's thinking when I bring up this subject, but what words do I use? And also what phrases should I avoid? Because that'll terrify my kid <laughs> or annoy them or make them squeamish or whatever it is. So I really thought about it from that angle. So uh, how often did, during that process, did you go like, man, I thought this was going to be one of the 14 and Mm. now it feels like it's not, or, oh my gosh, I completely left off X and I'm already at 14. Um, I mean, partly because it just feels like a daunting, but incredibly essential and important project, but also because like our kids needs and the world they're living in like are changing so rapidly, right? Like I, I feel like 14 talks by age 14 in 1974 would have been so different than 1984, than 1994, than 2004. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. as you're writing it, is it, you know, you can't just draw on like, here's what I wish I knew at 14, or here's what I wish my kids knew at 14, because you're maybe right. a kid who's 14 now needs something very different. That's right. So I think it's a really good point. And the way that I kind of addressed that and thought about that is I, I made the topics um, I sort of pulled back to a macro level. So throughout the book, I do touch on what I think are really current issues and topics and fears and worries um, in parents' minds. So talking about looking at porn, talking about vaping, talking about, you know, um, sexuality and gender identity and all kinds of things that are that are of the moment. But none of those is one of the 14 talks that I specifically want you to have with your kid. So what I did is I I put those index cards under broader topics that I think are a bit more timeless. So interesting. Yeah. So there's like you can go to the index if you're like, but Michelle, I really need to do vape like right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go to the index, you can find vape and, and you can do that right now. And that was a fun one to write about because every day new details were emerging, right? New research yeah. was being conducted. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's one where I just say, you know, things are changing at, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but you can find really specific things, but I wanted to frame them under broader context that I wanted you to talk to your kid about, like how to take care of yourself. So that might fall under there. Another conversation that falls under that topic is wearing deodorant because that comes up a lot. from uh-huh. So I did try to take a broader approach with real specific examples underneath each one. Okay. That makes sense. Good. Yeah. And I, I love the way that that's laid out. Um, and as you kind of created, recreated the crime scene um, <laughs> in, your, in your Airbnb, um, you know, how, how did you um, come up with this idea? First of all, that method, that brief method of like, you know, this is how we're going to, this is how you can frame a conversation. Does that, is that an artifact of, of your talking with your kids or is it, Um, you talking with your clients or listening to other parents? How did you arrive at that? Because it feels and it reads really organic and doable 
Um, and knowing, uh, you know, an unreasonable number of tween age kids, I, I feel like that's kind of the secret sauce that, you know, most parents are like, I don't know how to get this started. Like, I'm not sure how to get going on introducing any of these topics. Right. That is the number one impediment to a good conversation with a middle schooler, with a tween or an early teen, parents tell me is getting started. And I think that parents tense up and they think this isn't going to go well. Mm -hmm. It's so serious. It must go well. And I don't know if it will. And so what they do is they jump right into the deep end very quickly for fear of, of um, treading too closely to the subject and having the kid freak out and turn off. Um, and actually jumping right in turns them off. So the brief model that you're talking about is something that I use for each conversation in the book. And to answer your question, it's a, it's a little bit all of the above. Something I used with my kids, something that when I saw a conversation go really well, I saw that it followed this pattern. And I love noticing patterns. Back to the crime scene. <laughs> um, so just observe all the time. And this is something that I see parents, when they have a really good conversation, it tends to follow this. And so here's what it is. So brief is an acronym. I also like it because I do want these conversations to be brief. Otherwise, you know, your kid will get bored. Yeah. Um, so it's B, begin peacefully. R, relate to your child. I, investigate for data. E, echo what you hear. And F, the final step is feedback. And that's where most parents start the conversation. They see something or they suspect something or they're worried about something and they jump jump right to, hey, you know what? You really need to not do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. And that turns kids off right away. So I yeah. some, a, a softer way of getting there. Yeah. I think that there's so much wisdom in what you just said. And I, I, I think, you know, I find myself when I'm talking to my parent friends about this and even a little bit when I'm reporting so often we sort of um it's kind of a lazy way of thinking but I fall into it too but we fall back on like god our parents didn't worry about any of this stuff um mm. you know or like it, it used to be so much easier I don't know if it was ever easier to raise kids I don't think it was ever easier to raise them well <laughs> um <laughs> but I think um you know I, I I just think part of what um, tempts people to jump to that last, you know, jump over the, you know, parts of the acronym that we need to do and immediately go to like, stop doing this and start doing that, um, is sort of this reflex of like, well, it worked for my parents or, or parents at the beginning of time used to just tell their kids what to do and what not to do. And they listened. And I don't know why this has to be so hard. Um, but like, talk about that for a little while, because I mean, there's, maybe a kernel of truth in that, but it's not probably a real useful truth to get hung up on. I I think that it holds true until the part where you said, and we listened. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) As far as they knew, we listened. Yeah, but how would they (laughs) They know otherwise? Right, 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 right. right, I mean, now parents have access to way too much information about what their kids are doing. I mean, they're constantly monitoring and worrying and snow plowing and helicoptering and all of that stuff. And those phrases are really overused. And I don't fault parents for um, doing some amount of monitoring. Um, I think that it's a good thing to know essentially where your kid is emotionally and what they're doing behaviorally. But um, 
but also we don't need to see every little detail. And, and when we do, it causes us a great deal of worry and stress. And so there is a little bit of nostalgia for like, gosh, my parents never had to do this much. Mm-hmm. They never had to keep such close tabs because the world wasn't as scary when in fact, um, it, it probably was as scary in just different ways, you know? Yep. So I think it's, we are always going to be nostalgic about the way things were before. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can use that to our advantage a little bit. Sometimes I think about how um, I acted towards my parents and my relationship with my parents when I was a young teenager. And this feeling that like, you, we tend to remember as kids, the, the happy times, the good things that our parents did for us. And our parents probably remember all the failures, right? Mm-hmm. All the family mm-hmm. fights and all the mm-hmm. letdowns and that sort of thing. And so if I can apply that to my own family, I can say, well, they're probably going to remember, you know, the fact that I um, made them a really nice snack after school and not the fact that we got into big fights and cried as much. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's the case. It's funny because I don't even know if I would say I'm nostalgic for it. In fact, when I look back on especially the years that you're focused on in the book, I remember feeling pretty lonely, at least at home. I mean, I certainly had friends and activities and lessons and teams and, but I never felt especially known or understood by my parents or even like they were all that curious to get to know or understand me. Um, And I don't think I could have really put that into words probably at that age, but I just, it's a feeling you can kind of hearken back to, right? And, and that's, I mean, when I, and I didn't have an unhappy childhood and I, and I adore my parents now, we get on great. Um, They're wonderful. Um, But when I think about the ways my parents raised me and how that shapes how I'm raising my kids. It's usually me doing the opposite of what they did. (laughs) It's not usually me um, (laughs) saying, well, that's how my parents did it. So that's how I do it. it. So I don't even know if it's nostalgia, but I do think a lot of us look back on that and think, well, they didn't, our parents didn't seem all that hung up on, you know, how we were. They sort of seemed almost blissfully ignorant and they're, and, and we don't have, that we feel all, you know, torn up inside all, all, all the time about how our kids are doing socially, emotionally, academically, all of it. And that, and that's even pre-pandemic. But I was going to say, particularly in the pandemic, when yeah. I have a lot of parents who say to me now, you know, uh, my daughter's so distraught, she's so upset, and and some, or my son is, you know, really just in his room all day. This pandemic, this online schooling is just destroying them. And I think mm-hmm. that there is truth that it um, can exacerbate it. It can make it worse. But also, we're just home to see it, you know? Yeah, right. That's yeah. a right. phase of life. Yeah. Do, what do you think of that, John? Do, do you th- well, I, I'm, I'm wondering if, because um, I share your experiences, Heidi, like, you know, in a way I think back and I think, I don't know how invested my parents were. I think there was a little bit of a more kind of a laissez-faire approach to parenting. And, and to your point, Michelle, now going with our, you know, recreating the crime thing, you know, we have portals and trackers and we can start with, you know, feedback because we already know the crime that's been committed, right? So we can walk into our kid's room and say, mm. hey, what about the D? I see the D, you know, or right. you know, like I see where you were last night. Why don't you tell me about that? Um, I, and, and, and not, not to pile on, um, Michelle, but I also wonder if you see 
a, a gender difference. Like I, I did a um, uh, one of these virtual talks last night that I bet you've been doing for the last 10 months where you're literally in a room alone talking to either six or 6,000 people that you don't know. <laughs> and, and for a moment, for a moment, there was this glitch where I could see the people Oh, and no. um, yeah, well, it was, a it was actually right. The, right, right. It was kind of a nightmare because <laughs> I haven't showered this year. But I also kind of found myself scanning the rows looking for men. And yeah. I saw one guy. So out of all the hundred people or whatever I could see, I saw one guy. And I just wonder if there's a gender difference built in here, too, where, you know, I could say, my mom was, you know, definitely more involved than my dad was, even though she was far less involved than I as a father am now. Um, and I'm just wondering if you an anticipate that, you know, um, most of the readers of your book will be moms or do you think like, no, nope, there, there's, there's going to be a good number of dads who read this and can, can gain wisdom from, you know, um, these talks and will engage in them? Well, the, I mean, there's a dream answer and there's a real answer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just from the work I do, I can tell you that the majority of my audience is moms. It, it falls under that category of, um, I think, the added labor that women often carry in a, in a family is to be um, sort of the mediator and the family glue and the researcher and, and that sort of thing. Now, I do have a good number of dads who show up to my talks and by good number, it can vary from a couple to a handful to 10, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it is by far always my minority group are the dads, um, but the book is written for um, both parents, for, for any caregiver, uh, parents of boys, parents of girls. And I'm, I'm hoping that it's written in a way that is light and funny enough that it doesn't feel like you're doing academic research and that it's an easy read. And so um, even people who wouldn't normally pick up a parenting book might be inclined to do so. So that leaves me with a question I want to hear both of you answer. Are there, are there questions or topics that carry maybe a little more weight when a dad is the one who hops in and delivers them. And, and every family is different, right? I mean, there's dads who are raising their kids alone, or there's families who have two dads and no mom, or there's, I mean, I, you know, I'm sort of asking you guys to stereotype, I suppose, but, um, but are there things that like you find yourselves when you're talking to families or, or clients or, you know, speaking in schools where you think like, man, if, you know, if more dads would hop in on this one, I think we'd move the needle a little bit. Um, uh, especially in in the 14 talks that you spell out, Michelle, are there ones where you think like this one kind of needs to be all hands on deck? They need to hear this one from mom and dad or or, or this one usually comes from mom, but kind of should come from dad. Yes, I think that's a great question. So um, I think the one that dads gravitate towards is technology. Um, mm. But I think the one where we need more dads getting involved is relationships um, and there's some research around um, tween and young teen girls really getting their strongest sense of what a good relationship is from a father figure. So I would love to see more dads talking about what a healthy relationship looks like. 
Um, and there are some examples of that in the book. So it would be easy for a dad to read that and just kind of jump in there. And I think a lot of times dads think, oh, this is definitely mom's territory, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've never been. Yes. A I have no idea how they feel about dating. And I also don't want to think about it and that sort of reaction. Um, but beginning early with what healthy friendships look like, talking about that uh, and, and letting that be sort of a launching pad for what healthy romantic relationships look like is very important. I like that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. And I'm, I'm looking at your 14 conversations and I'm thinking like, um, like you were suggesting, Heidi, a, a moment ago, like, is this something that should come from both moms and dads? And I think any of these where dad weighs in and right, I, I agree, um, Michelle, technology, that's the one that jumps out at me like, oh, dad for sure is going to be willing to talk about that one. But there, in a way, that's like, uh, a lot of dads, that's their wheelhouse. And, and, and I've worked with a lot of men one-on-one, encouraging them to talk to their kids about all the things, especially relationships, friendships, sexuality, stuff that, you know, um, men, and, and this is kind of broad stereotyping, but put in, in mom's wheelhouse. Say, this is, this is your thing. I don't want to know. I don't want to talk about it. And yet, when dads get involved in these talks, it's really powerful for kids, I think, you know, just because I think they don't expect it. And it drives a far deeper connection between the, par- the dad and the child than other w- otherwise they would ever have. So, you know, like my wish for your book is that dads read them in equal measure to moms and, and engage in these talks in, in equal measure as well. Because I think dads sometimes underestimate their their potency as parents and 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 put the whole parenting thing in the mom category. And there's first of all, then the child misses out on that that whole point of view and that that massive connection that they probably need and that person to lean on, that other parent. And I I think, you know, as a dad, I think like man, you miss out on all these, you know, like these really, really important talks. And to, to use the brief model, you begin peacefully, you start relating, you interview, you listen to your kid, you hear what they have to say. Why, why would you want to miss that? You know, like this, yeah. this is, um, in, a, in a way, what I love about this, this work here is that there's this opportunity for all parents to get to know their kids, not just parent them, you know, which yes. feels like something you're doing to them, right? You're, yeah. <laughs> you're manipulating them somehow to be the person you, you're, you're raising, uh, but instead of like kind of marveling at them and walking the path with them, you know, which, you know, I lament that any parent misses that. John, I love that, I love that too. And I, I will add that what's so important if, for parents who are listening to this, and 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 if there is someone who doesn't normally do the parenting talks, who's thinking, oh, there's nobody listening, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> we should have mentioned that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, if, but I think sometimes when you said dads will underestimate themselves, I think sometimes what goes hand in hand with that is that if one partner in the relationship usually takes the lead on this. The other partner may say, well, I don't want to get it wrong. This is important. And I want my wife to then be like, no, that's not what we say about that. Our stance on that is this. And you said it so beautifully that it's really more about 
building your relationship with the kid than having the right answer. Don't worry about that. That makes me think about, John, when you and I had the Family Action Network event a a year ago and somebody in the audience asked, um, basically, you know, what, what do you do when you and your spouse have pretty different opinions on, you know, this problem your kid's going through or this thing your kid keeps doing. And I remember you saying something along the lines of, and correct me because I'll get it wrong, but the, uh, essentially it was like, look, if you guys had the exact same opinion or advice all the time, one of you would be irrelevant, you know, right. you don't want right. to sort of cancel each other out. Like that's not the idea. You know, that you sort of only, you don't have to speak in a unified voice because then you've sort of, you know, the other one becomes an efficiency, right? Like, you know, lay lay that one off. We only need the one. Um, I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, Yeah, I think it's okay for parents to come from different points of view, you know, and then kids can kind of integrate that and they can ask questions about that. And, um, you know, I, I think the more open these relationships are, um, the better. And what, what always strikes me in my work, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this, Michelle, is how cautious parents feel like they have to be. Like you were saying a moment ago, like, I don't want to get it wrong. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? And, you know, and, and this criticism that parents have of each other as if, you know, that child doesn't live upstairs and you don't get like, a thousand do-overs if you want them and that you can't go up and say, um, you know, I want to revisit that thing we were talking about last night, you know, and um, and sometimes I think a parent's copying to, I think my messaging was a little off there, you know, like mm-hmm. I think that's really potent modeling too, right? I mean, it, it's uh, it's not the worst thing to say, yeah, I think I might have made a, made a mistake there <laughs> and I apologize. Yes. Didn't I have to do that last week with my 18 year old in a big way? I mean, (laughs) we're always doing that, hopefully. Um, But you're right. It feels very much to some parents like I am the authority. I must have all the answers. I must know when they ask me a question and it must be the right answer. And that's not true. This is really just about exploring these topics together. For some of them, no one knows the answer. Right. Um, I mean, back to that vape thing. We or or what's the effect of the pandemic on our kids? We don't know yet, right? right. We're waiting. Right. It's too early to know. So it's much more about exploring and relying on your kid to give you some insight. Well, I like the idea of approaching it with that mindset from the beginning too. I mean, it, it, as important as it is, important at as it is to give yourself permission to say, like, I don't love the way I handled that one. Can we, you know, talk about that again? I. I think, and I think I've learned this from both of you, that you can go into a conversation too, like, you know what, this is, <laughs> I'm going to get some of this stuff wrong, um, so bear with me and um, hop in there and correct me if I'm using the wrong term for, you know, TikTok or whatever. Like, I, just go going into it, like, look, I'm not lecturing you from a place of authority. I'm trying to connect with you, you know, like on a level playing field and, there's some stuff that you know that I don't, or I'm, I'm going to be awkward when I bring this up because it's my first mm-hmm. time talking to you about it, but I really want to hear what you have to say. Like, I think, you know, if you can give yourself permission to fumble a little bit and not have all the answers going in as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I even set that up in the beginning of the book. You, you use the word that I 
I'm really glad you brought up that it's not a lecture. A conversation is never a lecture. So these 14 talks aren't about me saying, here's what you say about mm-hmm. pornography. Here's here's what to do. Now, I do give some scripts, but that's because I think that it puts a person at ease to see how it might go and, and how if a child isn't really interested in talking, how you can handle that as a parent, what are some things you can say. But we all know that conversations with kids don't follow scripts, so it's really more of an improv. Um, and that just takes a lot, a lot of practice to get it right. So you may try the first time and be like, well, that flopped. <laughs> Did yeah. you know? And I, I stumbled and okay. And so then you can try again later because you haven't done the thing where you're jumping into the deep end with a big exclamation of what your kid shouldn't do. You're just exploring. Yeah. So, um, what if something is going on, um, Michelle, like in real time, like we were talking about the pandemic a little while ago, the other night, um, Heidi and I had to talk about the, the Conway family, Claudia Conway and Kellyanne and George and this whole thing about um, a, a nude picture of a 16 year old child being put up online and who did it and why. And um, how how do you think we talk to kids about something that's happening kind of in real time where, you know, we don't have time to write a book about it? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you write a column about it. That's it. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and you did. Uh, yeah, I think the key to stuff like this, well, I think the gift of stuff like this, and I, hate to, I hate to say that because like, it's a terrible thing that's happening to this family and a very specific thing that's happening to this young person. But kids are much more willing to talk to you about things that are happening to other people. They become very defensive when you try to talk to them about, um, now make sure you don't take any nude photos of yourself. Your kid doesn't want to hear that. Oh my God, that's such a good point. Yeah, it is. So if you can talk about it in terms of someone else and what's happening to them, it gives your kid the ability to, um, to engage without taking it personally. So I think that that becomes very useful. And, Again, the way that you bring it up, the be in brief, is you begin peacefully. So you're not going to say, did you hear about the terrible thing that happened that I hope never happens to you? (laughs) 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 You're just going to be just barely curious about it. Like, what what is going on with the Conway family? Have you you seen anything about that online? And so just a gentle sort of curiosity about it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. And you have Botox brow when you say it, right? You do. So for yeah. anyone who hasn't heard, <laughs> so that's how I describe your face should look when you're talking to your kid about stuff. So instead of scrunching up your forehead when you talk to them, which is like my my normal resting face is a scrunched up forehead, <laughs> want to look like hopefully botoxed and you're a celebrity on a late night talk show and you can't move your face. So very, very neutral. Yeah. So they don't feel judged or like what they just said alarmed you or sickened you or anything. They're terrible at interpreting facial expressions. They don't use the same part of the brain that adults use and they don't develop the ability to use that same part of the brain until their early 20s. So they're going to see your look of concern or interest or whatever your furrowed brow means and interpret it as anger Mm because they can get it wrong. Yeah, for sure. So and, and that that brings up one point uh, before I, I know we need to wrap up in a moment, but um, what we haven't touched on that I want to be clear about, and I think Heidi, you'll back me up on this, is that um, this is not a dry 
read. This is fun and funny at times. Michelle is really funny and 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 part of parenting and parenting well, I think, is to bring some levity and humor to it. And so, you know, like even following Michelle on Instagram, there is the Botox brow, super funny, kind of like, but relatable, like, oh yeah, that's me too. Like yep. I for sure have that. Would you agree? <laughs> Totally, totally. And, and actually along those lines, there's a, a, a set of workshops that you can sign up to do with you, right? Uh, connected to this book. Yes. So I'm super excited about this. It's the first time I've done something like this. Um, I've had in-person workshops for parents and kids, but I'm I've come. They're great. Oh yeah, one. Um, I am launching today an online course that accompanies the book. You don't. I mean, you can read the book and not do the course. You can do the course and not read the book. But um, sometimes reading a parenting book isn't enough. Like you get the you you hear the advice, but you don't get to practice it. The course yeah. is for you and your child to do together. And every month, it's just a thirty-minute module, so you can pretty easily convince your kid to spend 30 minutes a month with you, I hope. Um, it's fun and funny also. It's, you know, BuzzFeed style quizzes and activities that you do. And each one is related to a topic in the book. So it makes starting those conversations a little bit easier. It gives you a jumping off point. That's awesome. That's H how brilliant. young would you say um, parents should start or, or what would be like too young to start that? It's obviously by age 14, but do you start yeah. at nine, 11? I, I think nine or 10 is when some of these topics kind of start to show up. I'd say 10 is probably the, a great age to start. Um, okay. You know your child best if they're really not ready for it then, but you can preview the chapters in the book and and many of them, as I said, are kind of at a higher level, like the importance of retaining your creativity through adolescence is one of the topics. You can't be, you know, too young to hear about this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And for the um, online courses, too, you could take it with a 10-year-old or... Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. So that's all on my website if anybody wants to go learn more. What's your website? It's my name. So it's Michelle Eichard. It, and I'll spell that because you're not going to get it by hearing it. It's <laughs> Michelle <laughs> with two L's followed by I-C-A-R-D, like iCard.com. And the awesome. launch date for the book, Michelle? It's February 23rd, and it's already available for pre-order, so I hope people will do that. Hey. Super exciting. Um, so fun. I'm so glad we got to do this, and we've, we've got to do it again sometime soon. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, guys. This was great. I love talking to you. Thank you for joining us. This was yeah. great. Absolutely. So order 14 Talks by 814 by Michelle Eichert, two L's of Michelle, I-C-A-R-D. And, um, and we will talk to you guys next time.